Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Radio, brought to you by FreeCR, 855 AM on your dial. And you are joined today by presenters Jacob Andrewafa and... Sue Bolton. So, good morning, Sue. Um, yeah, I would like to um, kind of, I guess, start by saying that FreeCR is being broadcast to you from the land of the Wandry, Wong people of the Kulin Nation, and we respectively acknowledge the traditional owners, caretakers and custodians of this land. Um, this land was stolen, taken by brute force, and sovereignty was never ceded. And we join in solidarity with First Nations people struggle for justice. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So, um, yeah, just, yeah, this is a very important, um, important situation right at the moment when, um, we've got situations of, um, you know, really high rates of Aboriginal deaths in custody and, you know, we've got a really important struggle for social justice for First Nations people in this country. And um, that those struggles shouldn't be ignored right at the time that we've got this debate about um, the voice of Parliament going on. Um, our first interview is going to be with um, Graham Matthews, um, who's a journalist for Green Left, and he will talk about the cost of living crisis, the role of the Reserve Bank of Australia, and what we need to do to reduce the cost of living for working people. Um, and then uh, following on from the interview with Graham, we'll interview Sana Deswat, the coordinator of the Nuclear Free Collective from Friends of the Earth, to speak about the campaign to oppose a nuclear waste dump in South Australia and why grassroots activists need to oppose the nuclear industry. Then uh, we will be interviewing Matt, a resident from Techno Park, who's been involved in... F- organising the campaign to fight against the mass eviction of residents in this important Williamstown housing estate. But first, let's go to some of the news headlines, and Jacob will start a discussion about the recent parliament sitting that he attended and the parliamentary debate at the state parliament about housing. Yeah, so just to give a bit of... um just to give a bit of an update on this, I thought I would give a bit of a personal sort of eyewitness kind of report of, um, of an event I actually attended on Wednesday. So we've, um, as part of FreeCR and Green Left Radio, we've, um, we've been quite consistent in speaking about the kind of inadequacies of Labor's policies on public housing. And we've been, we've been obviously at the forefront of 
speaking about the Barrack Beacon campaign and the ongoing fight to <coughs> stop um, stop its destruction, but also we've been part of um, supporting campaigns against the privatisation of of public housing, because essentially what the what the kind of agenda of the Labor government is doing is. They're taking kind of existing public housing estates, um, they're redeveloping them and they're essentially transferring the ownership and the management of them to community housing um, providers. Now, the Greens have also been playing quite a, um, a positive role on this and have, you know, been in a sense speaking about out about this issue in, in the state parliament. And so the Greens managed to push for um, important business to kind of be discussed in the parliament on Wednesday. And this happened from 4 to 6 p.m. And essentially, this was an opportunity to sort of present the case um, for saving Barrack Beacon, but also opposing um, the privatisation agenda of the state Labor government when, when it, uh, in regards to public housing. And so, essentially, um, my just my observation, and so what the Greens did is they invited members of the public to uh, attend the parliamentary, um, to attend the parliamentary, to attend, to observe in the gallery. Now, what was sort of interesting, just a bit of background in response was, the Labor government was, uh, um, the Labor Party was quite upset about the fact that the Greens were doing this. And so in response, they were sort of advertising, uh, in their networks that, you know, people have to attend the, people have to attend the gallery because basically the Greens are getting in the way of, um, of, of housing. Um, they, you know, and, you know, that was, um, so in sense, what the, while the Greens at the, at the start of this, um, sort of proceedings, the Greens basically put the case, um, for against the privatization of public housing. Um, they also called out the Labor government for, you know, their support, you know, the fact that they are in a sense supporting community housing over public housing and the fact that Labor Party, the Labor Party, the state Labor government isn't willing to talk about public housing. It's only willing to talk about it in terms of social housing or community housing. Now, the response from, uh, the Labour government, the Labour Party to, to the Greens kind of intervention in this politically was, you know, they essentially derided them. Uh, they basically argued that the Greens are just getting in the way of, of much ne- uh, needed housing for, um, for people who are homeless. Um, this is despite the fact that actually what Labour, the Labour Party is proposing doesn't actually promise uh, any significant increase of housing. Um, what they're essentially doing is they're just destroying, they're essentially demolishing kind of existing kind of estates. Um, they're redeveloping them and, you know, they're, part, they're changing the ownership of, the, they're changing the management of them to be run by community housing providers. And of course, there's no real significant increase. And in fact, what the Labor Party is sort of doing as well, and this was part of their public housing renewal program as well, is they're also transferring, um, they're also since transferring, um, they're redeveloping these sites and making them into sort of mixed developments. So there's both private and sort of social sort of housing sort of developments. And so, yeah, it's actually in a sense what the Labor Party is doing at a state labor, um, state level is actually completely inadequate. It doesn't do anything to address the growing um, waiting list um, for public housing. And essentially the Labor Party was just pushing the line that, you know, the Greens just have to get behind this. Um, otherwise, if you don't get behind this, you're just playing politics. Um, so I thought, I thought it was sort of eye-opening to sort of attend the sort of parliamentary sitting to kind of see actually, you know, the, the Labor Party are quite shameless in their support for their inadequate policy. But also they were also, you know, they were quite, they were also quite open about the fact that they were basically trying to make this argument that um, against the Greens that, oh, well, the Greens are just anti-community housing. We're not actually against public housing, despite the fact we're not 
committing to any significant increase in public housing. And they essentially wanted to say that, you know, there's a role for community housing because it is filling so-called gaps. But, you know, the problem with Labor's policy is all they're actually offering is is just that. Um, they're not actually offering any significant increase in public housing. So the Labor Party can't claim to um, to defend their record on that. Um, so, yeah, I think it was... And the Liberal Party and the National Party also sort of commented on this. And to be honest, they're putting just a more right-wing line than what Labor was doing. But, I'll, but in the framework, because they're the party in opposition, in the framework of opposing Labor on what on their track record on housing, but not actually opposing any of the policies that the Labor Party was actually um, the Labor Party is actually implementing. But yeah, Sue, do you have any sort of comments as someone who's been quite active in this issue? Well, this has been. Um you know, this whole issue goes all the way back to the early 90s and the whole um, neoliberal privatisation agenda being implemented. At that stage, it was being implemented by Labor. Um, Liberal and Labor have taken turns to implement it. Um, but they started talking about social housing instead of public housing way back in 1993. Um, and since then, the whole term social housing has really been uh, used by governments to replace the term public housing, and it's used um, very much in a duplicitous way to disguise the fact that the governments around the country, not just in Victoria, but it's very far advanced in Victoria, um, are, uh, under the guise of social housing, they're either selling off or demolishing public housing or transferring public housing to uh, community housing associations. And in this, Australia is following what happened in Britain, where Britain used to have a lot of um, council housing, which is what they used to call what they called um, public housing in Britain. But now virtually all of that is gone. It's virtually all being run by housing associations. Uh, and that's was how Britain pr- managed to privatise its um, council housing. And Australia is following in the same route. And it's um, the use of uh, the term social housing or affordable housing to cover up what they're actually doing means that most Australians have no idea, unless they're following this issue, have no idea what's happening. And a lot of Australians have no idea that housing associations house very few vulnerable people. They house very few people on JobSeeker or any kind of Centrelink benefits, unless it's on a, a someone on a higher Centrelink benefit, such as age pension or disability pension. They house no one who is on a youth allowance, um, and it's because their um, housing associations are on an expansion policy, taking out loans with banks, etc. So they prefer people who can afford to pay market rent, basically, or people who are working and can pay a higher amount of rent. And and so this is not a solution. We need proper, secure public housing. And a lot of these housing associations are gobbling each other up and becoming bigger and bigger, which then means that they're becoming, a lot of them are becoming not much different to private real estate agencies where um, they, you know, are willing to evict people, 
um, in a similar way to private real estate agents, um, whereas with the public sector, you know, you had to be, you know, pretty bad in order to get evicted. Um, and, and so this is not secure housing. We need proper, secure public housing. And with people's incomes at the moment, it probably the actual amount of rent that people pay, unless they're in a good job, um, should be really um, reduced to 20% of your income in rent because 20, even 25% of your income in rent um, for a public housing tenant is a lot if you're on uh, a Centrelink payment or minimum wage. And in housing associations, charge even more. They charge 30% of your income in rent. Okay, well, we might conclude this discussion because we're going to be um, going into talking about the cost of living crisis with Graham Matthews. So I'm just going to go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And we're very happy today to be joined by Graham Matthews, uh, who is a member of Socialist Lines, uh, a regular contributor to Green Left, and is also a disability rights a- 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 um, advocate. And so we have Graham on here to talk very much about the role of the RBA, inflation and the cost of living crisis. So welcome to the show, Graham. Thanks, Jacob. Hi, Graham. It's Sue here. I'm just um, also uh, asking some of the questions this morning. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about what's the cause of this current cost of living crisis. Um, is it people spending too much? Is it companies just deciding to whack up their prices just because they can do so and blame it on inflation? It's an interesting question. Um, I guess from my point of view, a cost of living crisis really um, has two factors to it. So obviously there's the rising prices, but there's also uh, wages stagnating and and really not keeping up. And and that's been a consistent feature of uh, the Australian economy for certainly the last 10 years and possibly longer, possibly we could track it back to the the global financial crisis of 2008. Uh, And I'm sure that most of your listeners would... um, agree that wages really haven't uh, been uh, exactly keeping up with um, with prices for the last 10 years or more. Um, uh, you know, and, and that's certainly been um, led by um, government actions, such as, for instance, the uh, the wage cap for, uh, for public sector workers uh, that we've seen in New South Wales and other states. Uh, in, in New South Wales, for instance, over the last 10 years, um, wage increases have been pegged to no more than 2 or 2.5%. 2. 
um, which has ensured that wages have been flatlining. Um, now, the other part of the of the crisis really has been the, the rising prices, um, and that was given a, an enormous kick during the pandemic. We saw some uh, major issues with supply chains, which caused prices to rise. Um, certainly, there was quite a lot of um, uh, media talk about um, the, the, the problems with uh, China, for instance, and... Um, the supply lines and the fact that um, in this globalised economy that so much of the, um, the international um, uh, production of, of goods now occurs in, in China. Um, so when we had problems with those supply chains, that inevitably forced prices up. We've also saw the, uh, the, the totally unjust war, uh, the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which for a period there caused... Um, commodity prices, particularly oil and gas, to spike, spike significantly. Uh, and I say for a period because, interestingly, um, anybody who follows the, um, the, the, the news of an evening will see that um, uh, oil prices after peaking significantly last year have actually crashed down to far lower levels. Not that you'd know it from the, um, the, 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 the cost of um, fuel at the pump, which still um, reaches well over $2 in many cases. So there are, I suppose, um, the structural aspects to the, um, uh, the, the the cost of living crisis, you know, particularly in terms of um, uh, prices. But I think it's also significant, and certainly a number of progressive economists have raised this, that particularly um, monopolistic industries like the, the gas industry, like the oil industry, the, um, the electricity industry, uh, which has been largely privatised, in Australia have taken, as you say, have taken advantage of this situation um, by and, and have increased prices more than uh, they otherwise could have or should have. Um, we've also seen it, there's been evidence within the, uh, the supermarket sector uh, where uh, prices have increased well beyond the cost of um, production or indeed the cost, uh, the cost that they pay. Um, so we, we have seen that... Um, Sections of um, uh, the, the corporate, uh, the corporate empires that uh, that, that own uh, much of the wealth in this country have taken advantage of this um, situation to elevate prices, and that's certainly not an insignificant part, possibly quite a large part of why the inflation has persisted for so long. Mm. And um, going, drawing, I guess, from your article in Green Left, um, Inflation, Wages and Cosmetic Changes at the RBA, um, the Reserve Bank of Australia is, re- is committed to maintaining unemployment at the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, which is around 4.5%. And I guess, what is your... Um, can you kind of expand on, on, on this kind of point? Isn't that cute? You know, they, they've come up with this um, arbitrary figure of 4.5%. Um, and it's very interesting for anybody who, um, any of your listeners who um, might be acquainted with um, some Marxist economics, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an idea within Marxist economics referred to as the Reserve Army of Labour, which um, talks about the um, uh, unemployed. And the more unemployed you have, inevitably the more competition there is on those in work. Um, and uh, it places a certain suppression, let's say, on... Um, uh, a working person's willingness or ability to demand higher wages. So from the RBA's point of view, the RBA, um, I'd even go so far as to say fetishises 
the, the, the role of wages in the creation of inflation as opposed to um, price setting, particularly by uh, monopoly industry. Um, and uh, on that basis, they claim that um, if unemployment is below 4.5%, and your listeners would know that it's currently at around 3.5%, then um, that, that's putting pressure on inflation because it effectively gives workers too much power to be able to demand decent wages. Now, we haven't seen the situation that workers have been able to um, to push for, for, for decent wages. There has been a slight uptick uh, in the, uh, the nominal uh, wage increases that workers have been receiving, but in almost all cases, this is still well below uh, the rate of inflation. Certainly, I know at my workplace, um, we received a 4.5% um, increase negotiated by our union, um, in July, but that's still well below the 6% uh, that inflation's running. So, the um, you know, this, this idea propagated by the RBA and, and conservative economists, and certainly the RBA is an exponent of conservative uh, economic theories, um, is is really uh, anti-worker in its um, in its concept in its concept and in, in its application, and it's something which uh, working people should thoroughly reject. Um, Graham, I was wondering if you could comment on this, um, well, I think it's fiction, but this um, whole issue of so-called uh, Reserve Bank independence and the fact that governments get away with hiding behind the so-called independence. Um, but, you know, yeah, I was just wondering if you could comment on that whole issue where yes. the government's saying, oh, don't blame us. It's the Reserve Bank that's independent. And they really do, don't they? I mean, you only have to listen to um, uh, Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers and whenever the uh, the, the Reserve Bank uh, raises interest rates, it's almost like it was a, a natural catastrophe um, or indeed an asteroid falling from um, uh, from the space, you know, into the Earth. I mean, it's, it's as though there's, um, there's nothing the government can do. Now, this has been uh, an idea which was... Um, first introduced by the, the Howard government um, when it came to power in 1996 and it signed a, uh, an agreement on monetary policy with the Reserve Bank, which um, formally gave the Reserve Bank independence. Um, there, are, there are, and in fact the Greens have, um, uh, the Australian Greens have made this clear, there are um, uh, provisions within the Reserve Bank of Australia Act where the government can overrule the uh, Reserve Bank's uh, interest rate decisions in the national interest. Um, but the but the government refuses to do so. So I mean, this, this sense of independence really is just independence from elected government, uh, which makes them um, unaccountable to uh, to you and I. Uh, but at the same time, the the, the the composition of the Reserve Bank, the fact that um, nobody on there uh, is doing it tough, everybody on there is is uh, you know uh, either a multi millionaire or, or or certainly tied to some of the. Um, the key institutions of, um, of capital in this country. Um, and really, um, it's independent, let's say, of, um, of elected government, but it's certainly it's extremely responsive to, um, one might say, the, um, some of the biggest corporations, um, you know, Fortescue Metals, for instance, uh, West Farmers, you know. Uh, West the, Farmers. <laughs> yeah, a number of these so-called um, uh, independent members of the Reserve Bank are also directors of some of these companies. And it's, uh, it is an absolute fiction, and it's something which, again, that um, working people should really um, demand. 
uh, and, and kudos to the Greens for saying this, that the government intervenes on behalf of, um, of working people and um, really sets the, the record straight. And um, one of, um, given that um, they, the government obviously just changed the changed the governor um they just obviously just changed the governor of the rba um yeah. and um i guess what do you think are actually you know they go they're sort of going on a bit the media's sort of going on a bit now this might make a big difference because you know everyone didn't like philip Lloy. um what do you kind of think should be the actual things that should be happening in terms of policy to kind of address this cost of living crisis that's a good question and it's one that um a lot of uh, both unions and also progressive economists have um, spent a long, uh, a lot of time thinking about, and uh, we tried to, uh, we've been trying to reflect that, I think, um, uh, within the pages of Greenleaf Weekly. Um, to my mind, one of the most exciting developments has been the, the call from the construction union for a um, uh, tax on super profits. Um, as we've discussed, one of the key features of this um, cost of living crisis is the fact that these monopolistic industries, particularly uh, within the, um, the, the power and uh, resources sector, have been able to pretty much set their own prices and have, uh, under the cover of this um, so-called inflation crisis, have been um, able to really jack up prices significantly. Um, I think, um, you know, for instance, most people, um, and, and, and everybody does have um, an electricity account, we're all forced to. Uh, but have seen uh, prices for electricity increase by um, 30% or more uh, uh, at the middle of this year. Um, we've also seen, for instance, uh, gas prices um, increase significantly, even though, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, there's no shortage or there's no uh, immediate shortage of gas being um, pumped out of, um, uh, you know, wells and so forth, offshore wells, whatever, within Australia. So they're, they're calling, the, the CFMMEU are calling for a, 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 a tax on super profits and I believe they're taking that to the uh, Labor Party conference later this month, which is a, a, positive, uh, a positive step. There's also one of the other issues, and certainly Richard Dennis, who's the, um, the, the CEO of the Australia um, Institute, which is a progressive think tank, um, is also raising the question of the, the stage three tax cut, um, which will give um, uh, huge tax cuts to those on over $200,000 a year. Now, and he says, shouldn't the RBA thinking, well, isn't this potentially um, uh, inflation driving, putting uh, money into the hands of people who uh, are only likely to um, spend it on, um, uh, you know, more expensive items, certainly not people who are doing it tough, um, isn't that something which should be looked at? Um, the federal government did take some very, 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 very small steps to try to mediate the cost of living crisis. Um, certainly uh, those who are on benefit um, are able to um, access, you know, at least a $500 uh, rebate on their electricity, um, which is a small step. It's not enough. And it's certainly something more that the Australian government should be looking at, not least of all the fact that uh, the majority of people who do receive benefits, um, so subsidies of, of, of some sort, whether it's the unemployment benefit, uh, the pension or, um, or, or, or any of the other, um, you know, uh, parental payment and so forth, 
are living under the under the poverty line. And and, and in twenty first Australia twenty first century Australia this is completely unacceptable. And the government really needs to find a way to be able to radically increase uh, the, the the rate of uh, benefits for um, people who generally for no fault of their own find themselves in the position of being unemployed. Um, Graham, I was wondering um, if you have anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up the interview, but also I was wondering if you could comment on some of the some ideas which have been raised, such as freezing and even rescinding some of the mortgage in- interest rates and price controls on groceries and essential services. Um, there started to be a few people calling for those things as well. Yes, certainly. Look, in terms of interest rate uh, hikes, uh, and again, I understand that the uh, the Greens have been calling for that, and I'm fully in support of that. I think that's a very good uh, call. But the, the whole process of this um, tackling inflation by raising interest rates really attacks, you know, around about one third of the um, the, the working population um, in Australia. Uh, if we, um, in particular, or possibly two thirds if we include renters, but um, there's also there's there's a further third of people who um, own their own homes and don't have a mortgage, and certainly um, when interest rates increase, um, they're they're laughing all the way to the bank in the sense of um, uh, there's there's no impact um, on their cost of living, um, so it really is being um, particularly foisted upon um, uh, younger people who might be um, first home buyers, um, generally struggling with um, extremely high cost of housing, uh, but also renters um, who are feeling the pinch with um, increasing costs for, for landlords. They're jacking up rents faster than they could possibly do so as well. So um, I, I do support um, that being seriously looked at and, in fact, um, uh, calls for to, to reverse a number of those interest rate cuts. And certainly I think... Um, uh, the potential for uh, for price fixing. I mean, it's, it can be useful in certain circumstances. I don't think it's a solution in and of itself. Um, I think um, the the idea of um, uh, placing a tax, which and, and, and really redistributing that wealth from um, uh, super profits. You know, using that, for instance, to um, so using the, the the revenue from a super profits tax to um, to really assist those in in dire need, I think is um, is perhaps the most innovative solution that I've heard. But um, I'm certain that, um, you know, price price caps on, on basic essentials um, is, is... And again, that really involves um, attacking the, um, the monopolistic power of the, the Colesworth uh, in this society. I'd, I'd also support that. Um, Graham, do you have like any? Uh, I think we'll conclude this interview now. But do you have like any final comments that you'd like to make? There is um, the, the, the raise the rate campaign. I, I did mention the um, the, the fact that uh, those on uh, Centrelink benefits are struggling, and it really is important that um, uh, the, the the rate, particularly for, for for those on job seeker, is increased um, to something reasonable. And I understand that there is a national protest happening on the 9th of August for um, Welfare Not Warfare, uh, which is a really important campaign, and I'd encourage your listeners to get behind it. All right. Well, thank you very much, um, much Graham, for this. Um, I think this has been a very good and important political discussion to have. Oh, it's my pleasure.
and, and best of luck. Thanks, Graham. Thanks, Graham. All right. We we're just speaking to Graham Matthews, member of Socialist Alliance and um, regular contributor to Green Left, um, where we're discussing the whole cost of living crisis, um, the questions around inflation, um, and also um, and also the role of the RBA. Um, so yeah, I'll go I'll go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR eight five five AM. Free CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Free CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Free CR. To find out more, go to freecr.org.au and get in touch. Okay, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM. Um, so I saw between interviews and some news stories that we would play, um, a quick song. Um, I was, this is a song that has been suggested by one of our listeners. Um, and it's titled Can't Stand It by Coolism. Um, and a bit of background on this song. Um, the, the song kind of involves, um, the kind of lead sinner taking fire at the Australian government's policy of refugee detaining, the seemingly hypocrisy of lambasting Pauline Hanson, but cheering for her on Dancing with um, with the Stars. Um, so yeah, this is um, this is coolism. Can't um, can't stand it. You're listening to Green Left Radio. Speaker, in making my first speech in this place, I congratulate you on your election and wish to say how proud I am to be here as the independent artist for coolism. I come here not as a punch politician, but as an MC who had his fair share of life's knocks. <clears throat> now, being a part of the minority, I feel I got a right. No, a responsibility to not swallow my pride and get hurt. Yeah. Use the voice to make noise in the burbs. Yeah. Use the pen to write poisonous words. Use the strength of me to the 10th degree. Straight out of the Aboriginal Nothing. 
Yeah, I thought as much. How we let racists walk with us. Everyone ridiculed Pauline Hanson. But then I see you on the TV dancing. That's what I'm talking about. Hear my tantrum. White hand on the hot stand for the anthem. So why use a speaker for if we're not going to speak up more? Just remember why your feet are moving to the music. You've got to head to Hiroshima Day Rally for Peace and Against Nuclear Submarines, AUKUS and War. Nationwide commemorations and events will be held on the 78th anniversary of the US dropping nuclear bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Join millions of people across the world in sending a powerful message, never again. On Sunday 6th of August at 1pm at the State Library of Victoria. For more information, you can visit the Facebook page No AUKUS Coalition Vic a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM, and you were just listening to the song before Can't Stand It by Coolism, um, which was um, suggested actually by uh, a listener's at, um, listener of our program. Now... Um, I'm going to go, I want to do, um, before we go into our next sort of interview, I thought I'll do a quick news report drawing on the pages of Green Left, and you can actually read about this article um, in on the website at greenleft.org.au. Um, but this is a bit of a positive news story, and this kind of follows um, a discussion we actually had with a South Korean peace activist that we had on our program a number of weeks ago. But there was, um, on July 27th, um, on the 7th, um, the 70th anniversary of the of the Korean War, um, anti-war protesters formed a human chain um, linked with pink ribbons and banners around the 18-kilometer perimeter of the United States military base in Pyongyang, um, South Korea. Now, this action um, very much was part of um, 
you know, it was part of a series of mass actions, um, because in the, in the context of Korean politics, there's an ongoing kind of peace um, movement that is very much demanding a peace agreement be made, um, with, with, um, um, with North Korea and very much, very much trying to argue for demilitarization and, and a unification of, um, the Korean peninsula. Now, a mass rally was also held in the capital, Seoul, on July 22nd, and there was also Korean peace um, supporters um, uh, um, also rallied in Washington, D.C. Now, the independent news, um, South Korean newspaper, Cha Ju Soo reported that one protest was arrested at the action for trying to enter the U.S. military base at the Dodora Gate to deliver a protest letter. Um, and I think, you know, there's there's... There was there was basically a, a number of sort of comments sort of made by some of the activists, you know, basically demanding things like, you know, the withdrawal of U.S. troops from South Korea would be a first step towards peaceful unification of Korea. And in fact, one of the kind of contexts is that one of the things that's obviously happening in the background is, you know, the U.S. are sort of very much keen about um, tying South Korea. Um, and South Korea has historically always sort of had this relationship. They're very much trying to kind of tie South Korea to this sort of militarization effort against, uh, against China. And, um, um, so up all from the National Sovereignty Party called on the conservative South Korean president, Yong Suk Yu, to stop recklessly promoting war and turning Korea into a U.S. war practice range. And, um, you know, the, the protest concluded with a car cavalcade to the um, Korea-U.S. combined for U.S. forces command. So that um, the last sort of thing to note about the action is... Um, this was sort of report, this is reported in the article, but basically during this po- kind of pro-peace action, um, you know, the, the people who attended the protests were very much abused by extreme right-wing, um, right-wing groups who had gathered all, from all over South Korea. And of course the police put their efforts into, um, guarding the U.S. military and turned a, bl- a blind eye to the provocations from pro-war groups. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of the, the story. Um, yeah, Sue, did you have and any thoughts? You know, it's outrageous, really, that the mainstream media has in Australia has never covered the peace movement in South Korea, where there is a really strong peace movement calling for reunification of the Korean Peninsula, um, and you know, and an anti-bases movement wanting to force um, U.S. bases out of South Korea, because this really is. Maintaining a cold war, a cold war setup when really what's needed is demilitarization of the Korean peninsula. Um, and, you know, it's really great that those activists, um, did what they did. I, this is the biggest U.S. base in the world, U.S. military base, uh, 18 kilometers around and um, that activists managed to encircle as part of the protest. So, um, yeah, great that the activists have done that, and there should be more coverage of this in the mainstream media. Mm. And um, also, just to kind of add, um, I think, you know, in, in solidarity with kind of peace activists from all over the world, I think it's it's very much showing that in terms of this sort of war drive against China that's been pushed by kind of an imperialist government. There's actually room for kind of lots of solidarity between the different sort of peace groups. There's, 
you know, there's basically links that can be made between peace activists in um, Australia, um, South Korea, um, the the Pacific, and also the Asia Pacific regions such as um, such as the Philippines that are all very much going to be at the uh, at the centre of a, of a lot of the um, drive to militarism in the Asia Pacific, and I think it's going to be an important role for left wing people to play to actually kind of build those links um, amongst activists. And I think you know Green Left Radio is very much sort of committed to actually covering all those sort of perspectives to to support that um, to support those campaigning efforts. No, that's right. And, uh, you know, really, this is, um, it's not just Korea, but the anti-war sort of peace sentiment through um, throughout the Pacific nations and countries of the region is generally ignored by um, the Australian media. And, for instance, in talking about AUKUS, this whole military agreement between Australia, US and, and Britain, and the plan by the Australian government to buy nuclear submarines, there's a total um, disregard for all the countries in the region that will be affected by this, um, by nuclear submarines and by any potential military conflict um, with China that might occur, um, with countries in the Pacific being regarded as simply a backdrop um, in the same way that during the Second World War, all of these countries that had no interest in, um, you know, weren't protagonists in the war, were just dragged in by this conflict um, between major imperialist powers in the world. So it's, um, you know, these uh, decisions by the Australian government about, you know, ramping up the um, military rhetoric against China has an impact not just on you know, people in Australia and people in China, but also all of these countries throughout this region. All right. Well, we might just go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. The revolution in Rojava is a beacon of hope for the world, putting direct democracy and feminism into practice on a broad scale. This radical attempt at social transformation now faces huge challenges, including daily attacks by the Turkish military with little outside recognition or aid. Show your support for Rojava by joining North East Syria Solidarity, or NESS, and help ensure the survival of this inspiring experiment in social change. NESS sends aid, raises awareness and builds solidarity. Get involved at www.nessolidarity.org.au. NESS is a 3CR supporter. Uh, welcome back, um, listeners. Um, so we've, our next interview guest will be Sana Sawat, um, who is coordinator of the Nuclear Free Collective from Friends of the Earth. Um, Sana has also, um, as well as taking up all things nuclear, has been um, a speaker at anti-AUKUS, anti-nuclear submarines rallies, um, one that happened in Brunswick a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of weekends ago, and some of the upcoming rallies as well. Um, so welcome, Sana. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Well, thanks for, um, for being on our program. And um, I, I guess I want to kind of start off, um, Sana, by asking you about 
What you've been, um, Friends of the Earth has been very much involved in this um, important campaign um, to stop a nuclear waste dump in Kimba, of um, which is I think peninsula in South um, Australia. Air, Penin- Air Peninsula. Air Peninsula. Um, and what can you guys tell me about this ongoing campaign? Yes, so the Morrison government uh, proposed this flawed nuclear waste dump uh, plan um, a couple of years ago, and the site was um, nominated, and a community ballot or a community consultation was done, but it failed to include it, or it actively excluded the the voice of the um, the Bangala traditional owners who have native title over that area. And the Bangla traditional owners are unanimously opposed to a nuclear waste dump on their land for the obvious reasons. And so um, the, the traditional owners have put on a court case against the federal government about it, a judicial review. That was um, the 18th of July. The court spoke out about this, that um, it's unlawful. So that was a big win for the Bangla. The government has got about a week left to um, to announce whether they are going to um, appeal the case, which would look terrible. It's basically political suicide um, in the face of a, a process um, for voice to parliament that they are promoting at the moment um, to actively fight Aboriginal voices from being heard. Um, so hopefully we're, we're urging the government now to walk away from the plan. It it wasn't Labour's plan in the first place. They inherited it from the Morrison's government. So this court case is a clear sign that it's um, not a done deal and that they can clean their hands of it and walk away while while they still can because it's just disaster over disaster. The, The nuclear waste dump, as it is proposed, is an above shed. It's totally irresponsible and the the intermediate level waste that it's supposed to host is way safer where it is at the moment in, in Lucas Heights at the um, and so uh, site where it is safe for decades to come and doesn't have to be transported and double handled and everything like that. Actually, um, Sana, could you tell us a little bit about the problems of nuclear waste and why a nuclear waste dump is so dangerous. I notice in the mainstream media, whenever they talk about nuclear submarines or new or nuclear industry to save us from climate change, et cetera, et cetera, they never, ever talk about the dangers of nuclear waste. That topic has vanished from the mainstream media. So I'm just wondering if you could tell us about... Um, what what the problems are with nuclear waste and nuclear waste dumps? Yeah, yeah. So the the main sort of different levels of nuclear waste, and so the AUKUS nuclear submarines would would have high level nuclear waste, which would also come out of a, a nuclear power plant and stuff, which is um, highly radioactive for hundreds thousands of years. And I think that's where the main problem lies. That it is radioactive and and has the cause has the risk to cause huge um, nuclear disasters really and accidents um, for generations and generations and generations to come so um, the problem is um, well first of all it's it's radioactive for such a long time there's other 
other types of radioactive waste, for example, what comes out of nuclear medicine or radioactive medicine, which is often used for chemo treatment in cancers. And there's a lot of misinformation spread about this. So one of the, the propagandas to establish this last radioactive waste dump in Kimba was, oh, we need it because we need our medicine um, waste to be stored somewhere. And that is really a myth because the majority of the, the medicinal nuclear waste is, has a very short lifespan. So it's a matter of days or weeks or months. And that can just lie in, in hospitals and then gets disposed of, of in, in normal waste. The um, Medical Association Against uh, for the Prevention of War has got some really good information on that. They are doctors and they are um, de demythifying all that propaganda because it's a very compelling argument. People, everybody knows someone that has had cancer treatment and, and um, we of course don't want to stop that. But that is not the type of waste that's actually going to be stored at these waste dumps. And the second um, big issue is that it's always going to be proposed on remote lands, which inevitably are um, traditional owners' lands. So the, the people that, that carry most of the burden of this are First Nations communities, and that's why it's often not talked about as well. Um. I want to go into, I guess, the kind of next um, question, which is, but also I think leaving, um, linking it to another question we're going to sort of ask as well, um, which was, um, you know, Australia has very much this strong history of opposing uranium mining, um, and I guess one of the one of the benefits of this of this kind of um, history is there's not really any sense of um, of a nuclear industry in in Australia. Um, but of course, there's also, we're also hearing debates, um, from sections of the community, um, more, more some people within the environment, um, within the environmental space, you know, who are sort of trying to make this pragmatic sort of argument that, um, you know, you need, we need to kind of support nuclear power because it's a, on the basis that it's a cleaner energy than coal and it's a stopgap kind of energy source. And I guess, how do you kind of respond, you know, how would you respond to both the fact that, you know, it's important for environmental activists to oppose any pushes to have a nuclear industry, but also responding to the sort of arguments around around the climate? Yeah, so, um, there, there, again, there's a lot of um, misinformation and the nuclear industry is fighting really hard to get a piece of the pie of the green revolution, so to speak. So they're very active in all the environmental spaces and they're going to cops lobbying there. They've, they've been very successful in Europe getting included in the green taxonomy, for example. But it's really a flawed argument. Um, nuclear power is just too late, too slow, too expensive and too risky. So it would take the average um, nuclear power plant, which basically the, the big nuclear power plants are not being built. There's a there's a couple in the world that are still being built and they're hugely over budget. So we're talking around like um, $30,000 billion to build them alone. Um, and they they are taking up to 20 years. Um, they're always running out of time. A lot of them get cancelled mid-process while already billions have been invested. So Financially, it doesn't make any sense, and often the the environmental prospect we need we need uh, uh, a change way beyond 20 years 
from now. <laughs> um, so we we need we need that quicker. By the time actually a nuclear power plant would come online, we've we've reached way over a tipping point. So renewables can be put online within a year's time, and we need that the quick and clean solutions that we need. Also, the the environmental argument often looks only at the engineering process in the middle, but it totally ignores the uranium mining and and the nuclear waste end of the cycle um, and the enrichment part, which are all very problematic. The other argument against um, nuclear power as a as a solution for for the climate um, crisis is that actually nuclear power plants need a lot of water, so does nuclear mining, uh, uranium mining, but that water is going to be really scarce. In, in like a lot of the causes and, and symptoms of climate change are going to be negatively affecting nuclear power plants. And we're already seeing those, um, those symptoms and those results come out in France at the moment. So in the last two years, when it's been extremely hot in Europe, um, France, who's one of the main superpowers of nuclear power um, plants in Europe, has had to shut down quite a lot of its power plants because the the water um, that it releases, the, the water is mainly used to cool down the reactors or for cooling purposes, um, and so it's it's hot warm water, and there's limits to how, how warm water you can release into the to the water to not totally starve an ecosystem <laughs> to the river it comes into. And so, um, yeah, they had to shut down quite a lot of the, of the reactors because of the, the actual heat of the, of the water. So they couldn't, they couldn't release any water in it. So in a climate change future, we can actually not use a lot of those um, nuclear power plants. That's uh, really interesting, Sana, those points about why the nuclear industry can't save us from um, climate change and we need to look in the renewable energy direction. Um, I'm wondering if you might also make some comments about the plan by the Australian government to spend megabucks, $368 billion, but most likely more than $400 billion on nuclear-powered submarines. And I think... um, I think a lot of Australians hadn't really thought about the implications of this until the announcement early this year um, when uh, Albanese and the British Prime Minister and um, the US President were on a ship together making the announcement. And I think until that point, I think a lot of Australians hadn't thought about nuclear waste um, but then there's also the impact on the Pacific nations as well. So I'm just wondering if you could talk about uh, the Im- implications of such a decision and, yeah, make some comments on that. Yeah, yeah, the the AUKUS nuclear submarines are just such bad news in so many ways. First of all, as you mentioned, the, the huge cost price tag um, related to it, which is, just insane and in a in a like where there are in a time that there are urgent needs such as like the current climate crisis and housing needs and welfare and healthcare needs um that seems like such a pie in the sky kind of um 
idea to go and spend $368 billion plus dollars on, um, on nuclear submarines that are still a few decades away. Um, first of all, the, the first submarines that are going to come from the U.S. are second-hand submarines. Um, Australia has committed to deal with the nuclear waste coming out of that already, um, which like it seems like a really good deal for the U.S. to, to like just sell off some second-hand um, nuclear submarines and don't have to deal with the waste. That, and we pay big bucks for that. Um, there's, yeah, as you said, there's, there's obviously other huge problems such as the imp- war implications. The Pacific nations are usually um, against AUKUS and, and um, so is New Zealand, luckily has spoken out against it. Um, but like the, for example, within Australia, it would also mean that any port where these nuclear submarines will be based will become a military target because each of these, like the, the nuclear submarines are said not to be, um, have nuclear ammunition, but they are nuclear powered. So if you blow up one of those, Submarines, you still have a nuclear bomb in that port, and that that is a huge issue. We also like made this agreement without really knowing what to do with the waste. The UK has got um, a, a bunch of nuclear submarines lying around that are lying that waiting to be decommissioned for decades and don't know what to do with them. They're just rusting away in a port. So um, it's it's bad news in in all areas. One of the um, arguments for having nuclear propelled submarines is that they they are more silent and less easy to detect. But you know, like technology goes so quick, they're already um, developing technology to de- detect these. So by the time they actually come through, um, that argument will be pretty much obsolete. Um, I also read yesterday that the defense is putting on a challenge in a STEM challenge in high schools um, for propelled nuclear submarines and um, this is from year 7 to 12 and I think it's ridiculous that the the defense is inside our schools um, you know um, kind of stroking this propaganda um, among 14 year olds which is yeah, I find that hugely disturbing. Yeah, I don't. There's just so much to say about this. I don't know <laughs> where to start or end. Well, um, thank you very much, um, Sana. And I guess um, probably maybe it's time to. We're probably running out of a bit of time. So, do you have any like final comments that you might like to make to conclude? Yes, yes, please. So this weekend, so um, August sixth, which is Sunday, and the ninth is the anniversaries, the 78th anniversary or year since the horrific bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The 6th of um, August, there is going to be an anti uh, Hiroshima rally um, slash anti-August rally in um, front of State Library at 1pm. So we're asking everyone to come along to that. And the um, National Union of Students are putting on a rally for welfare, not warfare, also denouncing the huge spend and, and call to war at August on the 9th of August, which is also at State Library at 1pm on Wednesday. 
and it would be really great if people could come along to that and, and really show the government how much um, dissent and, and non-consent there is against this um, this AUKUS plan. Um, we also are putting up today, so I'll send you the link so you can put that in the show notes, um, uh, to have a petition to write emails to, to the government in this week, we need to send a lot of emails to ask the government to walk away from the flawed Kimba dump so that they won't appeal um, the Bangla traditional owners in that fight. And, um, yeah, we always welcome more people in our collective. So please, I'll send you a link to that as well if anyone wants to come along to our meetings and help organize our next actions and events and join the movement against AUKUS and against um, the nuclear industry, um, we welcome everyone. Good. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Sana. So Thanks so much for having me. All right. Um, you're just, uh, you're just, um, we're just speaking to Sana Deswat, um, who is the coordinator of the Nuclear Free Collective at, um, Friends of the, um, Friends of the Earth. Um, so we'll just go play a quick few announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Green Left Radio, and it is time now. It's around 8.05 a.m., and it's time for the Green Left Activist Calendar. So the first action is happening in just a couple of hours' time at 10 a.m. this morning, and it's a protest in Glenroy in the northern suburbs just near Broadmeadows um, to save the Glenroy Post Office. So Australia Post is shutting down a lot of it's what they call corporate post offices, which are the, really the post offices that are directly owned by Australia Post, as opposed to the little franchise post offices that are scattered around some of the suburbs. So this post office in Glenroy is a major post office for that region. It's a major public transport hub. Uh, it's accessible. Uh, for uh, people who've got mobility issues and it is um, serving a big community. And in, what the Australia Post wants to do is shut it down and direct people to little franchise post offices in um, much smaller shopping centres and which do not have um, public tran- good public transport access and in some cases have steps so are inaccessible. So that's going to be at 10 a.m. today in Glenroy at Post Office Place um, just near the train station. Um, so come along 10 a.m. to save the Glenroy Post Office, which is an essential service. 
Um, then on Sunday, this coming Sunday, we've got the Hiroshima Day Rally that Sana just announced. It will be at 1pm at the State Library. Um, it's the anniversary of the most horrific use of nuclear weapons um, where hundreds of thousands of people were killed and maimed as a result of this bomb on Hiroshima Day um, on the 6th of August and then again Nagasaki on the 9th of August. So um, it, this protest is also is the main focus as well as remembering what happened at Hiroshima will be never again no AUKUS no nuclear subs, um, so it's opposed to this whole uh, military agreement and uh, war drive in the Asia-Pacific region. Also on the same day, uh, a little bit later at 2.30pm, there will be a protest, um, Don't Deport Dixton to Danger, where the government is planning to um, deport a Sri Lankan refugee, a Tamil refugee, to Sri Lanka, um, separating him from his mother. His name is Dixton, and this will be at the Mitre um, Detention Centre, 115 Camp Road, Broadmeadows. Then on August the 8th, Tuesday, next week, there will be a protest, uh, Once a Home, Always a Home, uh, rally and march to support Techno Park, and this is in opposition to um, Hobson Bay Council's attempt to evict um, many, many residents from their homes of many years in Techno Park Drive um, in uh, Williamstown. Um, so the protest will be at 5.30 p.m. at Logan Reserve, Pierce Street, Altona. We'll remind you of that protest later because our next interviewee will be from that campaign. Then on um, Wednesday the 9th of August, there will be a protest at 12 noon outside the Department of Home Affairs um, over the corrupt and, and cruel refugee detention policy of offshore refugee detention. And the protest will be calling for all refugees who are stuck in offshore detention centres like Nauru or else stuck in Papua New Guinea to be brought to Australia. Um, so the Department of Home Affairs is at 808 Burke Street Docklands. Um, an hour later at 1pm there'll be a welfare not warfare protest um, on the same day, Wednesday the 9th of August at 1pm at the State Library. And then in the evening, as part of the internet of the Melbourne Film Festival, there'll be a film showing of Rebel with a Cause, which will be about the life of um, uh, First Nations uh, activist and uh, magistrate and many other um, many other things. Pata Shane. Um, so that'll be um, in the evening. And then I will, um, I won't go too far into the future, but I will, uh, mention some of the things that are happening next weekend. So next weekend on Saturday, the 12th of August, there will be a protest hands around the Preston market at 11 a.m. starting at the Preston train station, trying to stop a greedy developer from, uh, you know, basically demolishing the Preston market as we know it. 
um, and replacing it with a massive development. And also at the same time at 11am, there's a rally for the forests on the steps of Parliament House. And um, just at the end of August, I'll just a little, um, you know, pre-advert, there'll be a a rising tide climate justice speaking tour in the lead up to a national protest at the biggest coal port in Australia, which is in Newcastle. Um, so there'll be um, a public meeting at Trades Hall um, uh, around that issue um, on the 30th of August, but we'll let people know some of the more uh, some of the details um, a bit closer to the event. All right, I'm just going to go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM. Ross House has community meeting rooms available for hire at subsidised rates. Perfect for small meetings, student study groups, Zoom conferencing and seminars. Facilities include free Wi-Fi, display screens for presentations, projector and sound system and a Zoom conferencing system. HEPA filter units have been placed in every meeting room. You can book and pay via their website, rosshouse.org.au, or contact reception during office hours on 9650-1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. All right. Um, we are li- you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. And, um, we're very happy today to be joined by Matt, um, who is a techno, who is a resident of Techno Park. And, um, Matt is one of the residents, um, at Techno Park in Williamstown, who is currently spearheading the campaign to fight against the unjust eviction by the Hobson's Bay City Council. Um, so welcome, um, welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks very much. So thanks, Matt. Um, my name's Sue, the co-presenter with Jacob. Um, thanks heaps for coming on the show um, and talking That's about right. this really important issue. And just for some of the listeners who don't really know what's going on at Techno Park, I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of a background to um, where this community you know, came from, um, or the, a little bit of the history of Techno Park, plus what the Hobson Bay Council did um, with these uh, eviction notices relatively yeah, sure. recently. Thanks. Yeah. Um, well, what, what happens, we all, all, we all got a letter about three months ago about having to vacate the premises immediately. Now, um, I'm a resident here, of course, at Techno Park Drive, and uh, and and council sort of, uh, the, the, the letter they gave out wasn't, that wasn't very pleasant at all. It upset a lot of people, and a lot of people suddenly became worried about their their future sort of thing. So we decided to get support together. Now, Hobson's Bay Council have chosen to do this. We're not too sure why, because the um, the buildings here were built originally as an immigration centre back in the late 60s. They've been housed by people ever since, so people have been living here for nearly 70 years, right? And about 30 years ago, Hobson's Bay Council changed the zoning to Industrial 1. Now, in saying that, you're not meant to be living in an Industrial 1 zone, but Hobson's Bay Council chose not to do anything about that and let people still live here. Uh, 
and people make this a community. It's a home. It's a, it's a roof over their head. And a number of people um, have bought in here uh, with a good faith that this is their permanent home. Uh, and all of a sudden, Hobson's Bay have decided to uh, 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 let's, uh, sort of enforce their law and uh, evict everybody. Now, we're not too sure why it's happened now. I mean, we're right in the middle of the housing shortage. Uh, the cost of living has gone through the roof. Uh, it's sort of one of the worst times you could ever do something like this, and they shouldn't be doing it anyway. They need to seriously look at uh, how they've zoned the area. Uh, there's never, ever been a health issue to anybody in the last 70 years here. So we're struggling to work out why they're deciding to do it now, and that's why we've got a, um online petition. Can I give you the information for the online petition? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, well, if you go into change.org slash technopark, you can sign up to the online petition. And we've also got a rally march, uh, rally slash, uh, slash march, uh, to support all the residents. And it's a march starting at 530 in Logan Reserve, Altona. We're going to be marching up the road. It's about half a kilometre. And there's a council meeting at uh, 7 o'clock on the 8th of August, which is the Tuesday. And so we're going to start the march at 5.30, walk up the road and voice our disapproval outside the offices. And, uh, and we've got to do something about it because this is not just happening here. This is happening in other parts of Melbourne. And, like, you know, for example... Uh, back in the city of Yarra, uh, back in 2015, the city of Yarra had the same problem. And they were able to rectify this with a thing called a Pacific Controls Overlay, which means you can live in a Zone 1 industrial. And the other thing about here is there's no heavy industry. It's all warehousing and storage now because heavy industry moves further out as things become more expensive. So... It's one of those things where we need as much support as possible um, and these people, you know, we can't be evicted, you know, like it's sort of this is our home, this is our community and uh, and a lot of people come here uh, and get support uh, with the mental health sort of side of things as well as physical health sort of thing. I mean, if you walk down the end of Techno Park Drive and walk up onto the bike track, you've got one of the best views in Melbourne. And it's all the view of the wetlands, looking across the wetlands and all that. And to me, that's as much as a part of uh, fixing mental health as it is going to a psychiatrist for an hour. Because, as we know, mental health's got a lot to do with claustrophobic and not knowing where you're going and, and not seeing light at the end of the tunnel sort of thing. Where, you know, here, people feel comfortable. We feel safe. So... Yeah, that, that, that's a situation we're in at the moment. Well, thank you very much for that. And I guess um, the kind of next kind of question I sort of want to ask is um, you've, you've, um, you've advertised the kind of upcoming kind of rally, um, but I want to kind of hear a bit more of some of the, the politics that I guess is happening at a local council level because um, obviously you've mentioned that um, um, you're gonna, um, the protesters are going to join um, the Hobson Bay City Council meeting, which is on Tuesday 8th of August at 7pm. And um, one of the councillors has put a kind of notice of motion to uh, res- 
rescind um, the uh, the eviction notices and to very much investigate all possible solutions to council's planning problem with the aim of keeping people in their homes. And I guess, what has been the response from some of the councillors to this issue, uh, especially those who are aligned with political parties such as Labor and the Greens? Uh, look, most of it um, has been quite negative. Um, I think... Uh I'm not too sure how Hobbs's Bay Council operate internally, but uh, we have one councillor, I'm not too sure of her name, and she's been very supportive of our cause. She's right behind it. Now, she's been sort of almost pushed to one side a little bit by all the others because I think uh, in a lot of situations that certain people don't want to rock the boat because they're comfortable in their positions. I'm not too sure why they don't want to look at the positive side of, uh, of this outcome sort of thing. Um, and so it's a bit of a struggle with council because, like a lot of councils, they're stuck in their ways, of course. And then when push comes to shove, then they realise that they can do something about it. And so our, our fight is to, to remove that letter, rescind that letter sort of thing, and, um, and then look at the, uh, look at the solution. And the solution is, really, to let people live here because it's already a settled community. And I welcome people to come down and have a look at where we live and what's, what's been created here over the years sort of thing. Um, it's a very unique part of Melbourne. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're struggling to work out why they want to sort of put people out in the street, basically, you know. And some people who have bought in here, you know... Um, uh, well, what happens to their what happens to their apartment? You know, if they can't live in it, sort of thing. So, uh, you know, there's a number of issues that that need to be raised. There's talk of, you know, they've mentioned there's no compensation down the track. So they need to look at not even think about compensation and really focus on how we can resolve the situation and not throw these people out in the street. Um. So. So thanks heaps for um, talking with us, Matt. I'm actually going to be coming to visit on Monday. Um, I hope to get to the rally. I don't know if I can or not. And I'm really aware of what uh, it feels like to um, for a community to be ripped apart like this. We've been involved in some of the campaigns against the demolition of the public housing estates and there have been quite a few demolished in in Melbourne and I really can't understand this council um, just suddenly out of the blue just issuing you with these eviction um, notices. I just think this is, um, you know, there's no rationale really for this. No, there's not. And, I mean, why... Right, right in this day and age when it's, they're trying to house people and as we know that the more uncertainty people have and, uh, and if people don't have a roof overhead, that's part of a mental health uh, issue that, number one, it costs the government, you know, millions of dollars to help solve. But also, why cause this problem? You know, like, it, it didn't have to happen in the first place. So... I don't know if it's councils needing to, I don't know, create their little dictatorship or whatever, but it's just, it's, yeah, a lot of people are worried down here about their future. And um, 
and yeah, it's just we've just got to get through council. And as we know, there's always a process we have to go through. And at the moment, this is our process, and our, you know, to do with having a rally, a, an online petition. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got signs up everywhere. <coughs> so me. just um, on that, so I um, received an email the other day. Um, because I signed the petition, the online petition. So right. they're talking about um, what. So maybe I'll just give a little summary, and you could, and maybe Matt can add anything that I've missed. So basically, anyone from anywhere, you don't have to live in Hobson's Bay um, local council area. Anyone from anywhere can share and sign the petition on change.org. Um, the the community's got a Facebook page, which I think is called Save Techno Park, um, and also... Uh, con- yes. Is the, that right? The Facebook page, yes, the Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash Save Techno Park. Yeah, great. And then also people can contact Hobson's Bay councillors and tell them what you think, that you want Absolutely. them to move a motion to keep Techno Park residents in their homes. Now, yes. people can also come. You don't have to live in the local area just out of a sense of solidarity, especially in the middle of a housing crisis. People can join the rally. You don't have to live in um, the w- Williamstown or Altona area at uh, on Tuesday the 8th of August at 5.30pm at Logan at Reserve, Reserve Pierce yes. Street, I think it is, in That's Altona, correct, yes. um, mm-hmm. marching to the meeting. But then if you live in Hobson's Bay, you can also contact the campaign group to get flyers, like actually hard copy flyers, to okay. pass on to people at school, at work, um, in your faith community, in your sports club or on your to your neighbours. Um, you can collect a paper petition to gather local signatures, which get, means you get to have a chat to people about the issues. And you can also contact the campaign group to get a core flute sign to put on your fence or uh, put up somewhere. Your house or somewhere. Yes, exactly. Yes. And look, we encourage that because, again, this is our fight here. And, you know, we're up against it, but we're going to win at the end of the day because... We're all very positive that that the common sense will prevail at the end of the day. Um, But this is also happening in other parts of Melbourne too. So if we all help each other out and support each other, well, then we can actually get common sense prevailing for the future of people and, you know, and, and, and we need to, you know, relax the laws so we can actually live a bit easier and get on with our lives sort of thing. I mean, this has slowed a lot of people down here, and some people lock themselves away because they're paranoid that they're going to, council's going to come along with the, you know, uh, and throw them out. So it's become uh, quite an issue, and we've realised that once we, once we started this whole campaign going, a lot of people came out of the woodwork because they feel comfortable because they're being supported they're not being isolated. So the bigger the group, the more confidence and the more sort of uh, security people have within the group sort of thing. And then that also leads to to uh, outside groups sort of realising that, well, they can do it, why can't we do it sort of thing? Because, this is, again, this is not an isolated incident and we have to start thinking about the future for people because... 
this housing crisis isn't going to go away. You know, I, well, I think we're on the back foot when it comes to that. Um, thanks, Matt. Um, well, sorry, um, apologies. You've given us a very good interview, and I think this has been very informative. And, you know, Green Left would obviously, and um, Green, Free CR would um, obviously like to extend all the solidarity to your fight and all the residents of Techno Park. Um, Thank you very much. I, I guess we've, we're kind of, unfortunately, we're just running out of time because um, we basically, right. we're getting to the end of our program. Um, so I'd like to thank you for um, being on our program. And yeah, we'll, um, we'll remind listeners about the rally um, to attend on Tuesday at 5pm at Logan Reserve in Altona. I encourage all our listeners to attend. But yeah, thank you very much, Matt, yeah. and all the solidarity. And, and, and I, and I really appreciate you guys for listening and being part of the whole thing. And, uh, and yeah, thank you very much. It's great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Okay, then. All right. Take care. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. All right, we're just speaking um, with Matt, who is a resident at Techno Park, um, which is basically, it's a it's an estate where people are actually basically facing eviction. And I think it's also quite outrageous, and I didn't get the chance to sort of really um, inquire further from um, what, what Matt said. But basically, it looks like that um, the council is evicting these people, and they're not even offering any sort of form of compensation. Um, which I think is completely sort of outrageous, especially for those who mm. um, who are renting. Um, but of course, yeah, there's even people who actually own some of the um, some of the units and mm. the uh, um, the apartments because it's a mix of um, private and it's it's because mm. it's basically a private apart- um, complex. Mm. It's terrifying for people, as you said. All right. Well, um, I just want to make um, any kind of final comments I like to make. I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in this week. Um, I like to just make also a plug that if you support the work that Green Left Radio does in, you know, giving you the voices of, of grassroots activists on the ground, um, you know, giving the, the side of the news, um, the side of the news that you don't hear in the corporate press and also contributing to building the, um, the movements of resistance against the capitalist system. Um, I like highly encourage you if you support, um, the work we do, uh, to become a supporter of Green Left and you can become a supporter of Green Left by going at greenleft.org.au forward slash support um, and to become a supporter it costs as low as five dollars a month or ten dollars a month but yeah I'd like to thank our listeners and our guests for being on our program thanks very much for joining us this brings us to the end of the show you have been listening to friday morning breakfast with green left radio brought to you by green left weekly newspaper which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers from your slumbers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last ends the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions. Serve all masses. Arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that crap.